Happy Sabbath, everyone. Um, every time I'm asked to preach, I always count it as a privilege and a pleasure. This is not something that I'm ever going to be worthy of doing or that I ever feel that I have the right to be here. But the only right that I have to be here is because Christ has done something in my life. And that always gives me confidence to stand in the pulpit. No matter what people may think or say, what opinions they may hold, what assumptions they may have, what's important to me is what does God think about me? And that always sets me straight, my default position, as to speak his word. And I don't say that lightly today, because like everybody else, man, I go through trials and temptations. Amen? Amen. I'm not saying to say amen because it's good. None of us like being tested and tried, but the reality is we go through things every single day. The title of my sermon is called Hold On. Hold On. And the scripture reading that we read in Revelation chapter 3 verse 11 is going to be the foundation of this sermon. As is my custom, I pray before I speak. So if you just bow your heads with me, I'm going to choose to kneel. Let us pray. Father in heaven, according to your promise in Luke eleven thirteen, that if I ask for the Holy Spirit, you would give it to me. So Father, give me your Holy Spirit. As I speak, I don't speak my words, but your words. Because your words have life. Your words have power. Father, give me the same spirit that called me from darkness into light. Give me that same spirit that spoke to my heart when I was lost and brought me into your church. Give me the same spirit that brought me into the baptismal pool. Give me the same spirit that's always picked me up when I've fallen down. Give me the same spirit that in times of darkness and discouragement, somehow you got my attention again. Somehow you convinced me to make the right decisions. Somehow you helped me find strength to make the right choices. Give me the same spirit that gave me the ability to have faith. Father, that spirit is needed today. Because, Father, your people have not come to hear a man speak, but they've come to hear words of life. So, Father in heaven, honour your people by honouring Christ to do what you said you would do. And that's save, empower, to bring dead things back to life. And I know that there's situations here that people think cannot be sorted. So I pray by the end, their faith will be turned towards a God of the God of the impossible. So Father in heaven, speak now I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it right for us to take a little bit of water? Sure? I'm going to take it anyway. I'm going to knock that off, let's leave that there. A thought comes to my mind that I find a bit entertaining, it's a bit funny. You might not find it funny, but I find it funny. When I first started to preach, you see how I took my time to set up my manuscript, set up my iPad, set up my phone, drink a little bit of water. When I first started to preach, man, I was so nervous, I wasn't bold to do those things. Because all the eyes staring at me, so I remember when... My friends would give me um, a mini disc or the early days of mobile phones, they couldn't really record. Or like, we had dictaphone tapes, cassette tapes. Yes. Some of you millennials are gonna have to Google that. Cassette tapes? 
We'd have a dictaphone, I'd have to put it right here. And then so I'd have to press play on there, set this up over here, and I'd forget everything. I was so nervous. But now I'm at a time where I'd be like, I ain't take my time. Because I know who's with me. Amen? Amen. Doesn't mean I'm not nervous. Just means I can control them a little bit more. The title of this sermon is called Hold On. Hold On. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. I'm reading from the authorised version, but you can follow along in any version that you have. The Bible says this, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. I'm going to read it from the New International Version, because I like the way it puts it. I am coming soon, Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I'm going to read it again. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on. Hold on to what? Hold on to your crown. Hold on to your crown that no man take your crown. Notice Jesus is speaking in this verse and Jesus is speaking to his people and Jesus exhorts them to hold on to something which they presently have in their possession. Today I'm going to challenge your thinking brothers and sisters and visiting friends. Do you see Christianity and salvation as something you need to earn or something you need to retain? I'm going to say it again. Do you see salvation as something you need to earn or something that you need to retain? Because Jesus in this verse exhorts his people to hold on to something which they already possess. Not something they need to work for. It's very different if you know you have something precious and someone is trying to come to take it away from you. There's going to be a different intensity in which you're going to fight to defend that precious thing, is it not? How can you fight with something you don't possess? How can you defend something you don't have? Doesn't make any sense because it doesn't happen. I'm going to defend my child. Bro, you don't have no children. I'm going to defend my car. You don't own a car. So the Bible here brings us a very powerful idea. The word of God brings a very powerful idea that we need to be reminded of. And for some of you, you need to know for the very first time that salvation is not something you earn. It's something that's given and then you need to retain it. So you can't hold on to something you don't know you, don't know you possess. And you can't hold on to something you actually don't possess. The second coming of Christ is used as the motive to hold on to thy crown. But why connect, onto, why connect the holding on to your crown with the second coming of Christ? I believe Luke 21, 26 to 36 gives us an answer to this, sheds light on this question. Turn your Bibles to Luke 21, 26 to 36. Luke 21, 26 to 36. 
New Testament, you have Matthew, you have Mark, then you have Luke. Luke 21, 26 to 36, the Bible says this. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the who? The son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads for your what? Redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is what? Nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Verse 34 is the critical verse we want to be looking at. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your what hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life so that they come upon you how unawares verse 35 for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Notice very carefully the second coming will be a snare to the world. A snare is a trap that has been set for an animal. And the job of the trap is to not alert the animal that that day he's going to die. Why is the second coming called a snare to the world? Why will most of the world not know that Christ is coming soon? Is it because he hasn't told the world when he's coming? Is it because he hasn't informed us when his coming is near? No, the Bible is very clear in Matthew 24 that we are to know the signs so that we know it's even at the doors. That's the language in Matthew 24. But what happened in this text? People's minds became absorbed with other things. People's minds became absorbed with other things to the neglect of the preparation needed for the second coming. We're dealing with the mind today, brothers and sisters, and visiting friends. Look at verse 34 very carefully. Look at verse 34 very carefully. The Bible says this, and take what? Heed. Pause there for a moment. What does the word take heed mean? It means to pay close attention. Shush, be quiet, pay attention. Pay attention. When's the last time you paid attention to eternal things? When's the last time you stopped to think about your eternal realities? Your soul, where are you going? What do you do with your life? When have you paid close attention? Not when have you thought about it. It says, take heed. Take heed means to pay close attention. Young people especially, not to the neglect of us older ones, but young people especially who are more tempted than maybe you and I during the week to not Pay attention to their self-well-being. Friends. There's nothing wrong with friends. 
TV. There's nothing wrong with TV. But are these things absorbing your attention to the point you don't even think about eternal things no more? Doesn't even enter your mind. You wake up in the morning and it's everything else and these, thing, these things in of themselves are not wrong. I've got to go to school. I've got to go to college. I've got to make money. I've got to do my driving test. I've got to do X, Y, Z. Okay, that's fantastic. You've done all of that. Now what? Now what? What has that got to do with your eternal reality? What has that got to do with eternal life? Nothing. But are these things wronging of themselves? No. Take heed to yourselves, lest that what? Come on, brothers and sisters, follow me. Verse 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest that? Anytime your hearts, hearts referring to what, brothers and sisters? Our what? Our minds. Your hearts be what? Overcharged. What does the word overcharged mean? It simply means to be weighed down. Lest at any time, notice very carefully, how aware do you need to be? What kind of standard is Jesus putting before us that he says, lest at any time? You're telling me I can never rest? That's right. That's right. You can never rest. Do you know why you can never rest? Do you know why you can never be spiritually lazy? Do you know why you can never? Because there's an enemy called the devil, the adversary, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, not must, not will, may devour. Thank God it's a may. Thank God there's still hope. You don't have to be overcome. You don't have to be a lazy facilitating young Christian, not convicted, not inspired. All you do is come to church and take up space. I'm going to preach straight today. Because when I made a decision at 18 years old, God had to be straight with me. No mucking around. Yes, I saw the love of God. Yes, I saw the mercy of God. Yes, I saw God's grace. What does God's grace mean? It means when God spoke to me, I didn't deserve to be spoken to. When God convicted me of sin, I didn't even deserve for the spirit to convict me of sin. It's grace. When Jesus died for my sin, I didn't deserve for Jesus to do that. That's grace. Can I give you a funny illustration? But once again, you might not find it funny. But I find it hilarious. Let me illustrate grace and mercy. I think I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. Grace is this. My mom says to me, Michael, I want you to be back home at 10 o'clock. What time? 10 o'clock in the evening. I say, yes, mom. But in my mind, I'm saying, yeah, right. In my mouth, I'm saying, yes, mom. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm coming back when I want. I come back when I want. The door's locked. <laughs> Where's Grace, Mike? She opens the door. Who pays the bills? Who put food on that table? Who keeps the roof over my ignorant behind? <laughs> She's listening. She opens the door. I get telling off. Grace is my mom going to her room, coming back and saying, food is in the oven. That's grace. Do I deserve that food, brothers and sisters? 
deserve. I didn't say need. I need the food. I'm hungry. But do I deserve it? No. Brothers and sisters, so where's mercy? I tell you what mercy is. Mercy is my mum refusing to whoop my behind. We use the words interchangeably, and there's nothing wrong. But once you get the full definition of both, you appreciate God a little bit more. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. That's the food on the table. Mercy is withholding the punishment you and I deserve. That's mercy. Amen. I'm not going to whoop you behind, you ignorant. I'm not going to say what she used to say. It's too bad. There's a time my mom weren't baptized, all full of the spirit. So she said some things. But well, thank God she made her decision one day to Amen. change how she delivered that justice to me. Amen. <laughs> but I deserved it, brothers and sisters. When I look back, here stands a woman, number one, who's given birth to me. Number two, kept me. Don't think your parents had to keep you. We know of many instances in the world, for whatever reason, I'm not judging people who make this decision, but for whatever reason, do not keep the child. Put them up for adoption or send them to ground for whatever reason. My mum didn't do that. My mum didn't do that. Then she decides to provide food, clothes, and then she says, Mike, you can go out. So she's giving me some freedom. Are we hearing, brothers and sisters? I've got the freedom. So am I getting what I want? Yes, but partially because I want more. Now, am I a big man yet? No, I'm only my, like, I think I was like 13. Yeah, I know you're shocked. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Don't be shocked, brothers and sisters. That's why I love God. Don't be shocked. God wasn't shocked. Don't be shocked. I know you see me today look nice, full of the spirit today. But there was a time I went full of the spirit. There was a time I wanted my own things in my own way. And I want, I'm going to get it. You can't tell me Jack Diddley squat. Don't get in my way. I go out and I'm coming out when I want you to tell me. No, I didn't say those words. You think I'm crazy? <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought it, though. I wasn't that bad. Yeah, it wasn't brave enough. My mum was serious. She gave me two slap. I remember when I tried to be facing to my mum. Whee! Never again. And I'm glad for it, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm 37 years old and I've had debates with my parents on different things where I don't agree. And all they have to do, even to this day, is say this, Michael. <laughs> the other day, or not even the other day, a couple years ago, man, I was arguing with my dad, getting real upset and vexed. He weren't listening to me. I was like, Dad, you don't listen to me. He said, my, my, Michael. That's all he had to say. And I calmed it down. There was a level of respect. Yes. Brothers and sisters, what am I trying to say? Lest at any time, lest at any time, I remember a time when my mind was not on eternal things whatsoever. It was on me, what I wanted, what I thought, brothers, and sisters and visiting friends, listen, what I thought would give me pleasure. Yes, it gave me pleasure, but it was deceiving because once I fulfilled that pleasure, I still felt empty. Your hearts be overcharged to weigh down with surfeiting. What does that word mean? It means to overindulge, to consume too much of something. So I'm going to read it like this. Take heed, pay close attention to yourselves that at any time your, your minds be weighed down with over 
indulgence. Your mind be weighed down with overindulgence of anything. It could be anything, brothers and sisters. And let me pause here to say this. Very quietly and softly, because I want you to get it. This is the point when you're reading the Bible, you and God have to be real. Not that, not that God doesn't have to be real with you, as in God's always real with us. You have to be real with God. Amen. Because the text doesn't specify what your mind can be weighed down with. It does go on to say drunkenness, cares of this life, but weighed down with what? It's much more than just drunkenness, cares of this life. Most of us don't drink alcohol in here anyway. Some of us still do and rationalize it. We don't get drunk. So it's okay to put it in the cakes. Read your Bible again. Read your Bible again. Have you read when your Savior, when your Savior wasn't even willing to take vinegar on the cross? Why? The Roman soldiers were doing something in their kind of pity and kindness. Drink this thing to take away the pain. And on the cross, he wouldn't even take vinegar because vinegar is alcohol past its fermentation stage. He wouldn't even take vinegar on the cross. And we would take it for pleasure. And we're not even on no cross. Read your Bible again. Anything that impairs judgment, anything that impairs your mind, watch out. Oh, but because you're not drunk, it's okay. Take it out with God. Don't take it out with me. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever's deceived thereby is not wise. Jesus wouldn't even take it to his lips. It wasn't for satisfaction or pleasure. It was to numb away the pain. But he knew if I took this in, there was a chance, there's a critical situation I'm in. I need to have clear clarity in this decision. So I'm not going to risk it. I'm not even going to risk it. All of us have weaknesses. That may be yours. I have mine. It's not easy. But by the time we finish this sermon, there is victory if you want it. Amen. If you want it. I'm here to preach the word. That's it. I'm just here to preach God's word because I know everything that God tells us is bathed in his love. That doesn't mean it's not going to prick. It's not going to cut. But at the end, it's to save us. Amen. It's to save us. The text goes on to say, and the cares of this life and the cares of this life worries anxieties so that they come upon you unawares none of us are exempt from the cares of this life that could be anything bills you may not have bills right now but you care about something there's something you put value on and that thing could get to a point that you're worried about or you're putting so much energy into this thing to the neglect of your own soul. There's nothing wrong with that thing that you care about. But are you putting more time and more energy into this? The cares of this life. Whatever it may be. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says. Cast all your care upon him. Because he what? We know it brothers and sisters. But we don't really do it. We know what the Bible says. It says, look, 
That care, that worry, that anxiety, some versions rightly translate it as anxiety or anxiousness. Cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiousness. That could be anything. We're all different. Anything could be making you anxious right now. Anything could be making you worried. And there's nothing wrong with the worry. There's nothing wrong with the worry. Why? Because the the text says you are to do what with the anxiousness? You are to do what with the worry? What are you supposed to do with it? Cast it. It can't be wrong to have the worry if you have to cast it. That's why I love God, you know. The issue is not the sin. The issue is you're not going to the sin cleanser. The issue is not your problem. You're not going to the problem solver. That's not the real issue because a remedy has been provided. Hope is there. It's not about the darkness because God has given light. It's not the fact you can't find food. There's food in abundance, but are you hungry for the bread of heaven? It's not the fact that you're making stupid decisions. James says, ask and I'll give you wisdom. The issue is God is saying these things, but who is God to you? Are you afraid of him? Are you scared? Who, me? I'm not worthy to receive these, these gifts from God. I'm not, I'm not in a right position to ask God of anything. Man, do you know what I've done this week? Do you know what the thoughts come from my mind? Who, me? But what does the Bible say? Romans 5 verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for me. That's how I read my Bible. Because you were there when I was on those streets, walking around, knowing what was right, but having no power to do it. You weren't there when I was making decisions I know I shouldn't have been making. You weren't there when the Spirit spoke to my heart and called me into Peckham, Seventh-day Adventist Church, to hear the gospel. What was the difference between that day and every other day I heard the word of God? What was the difference? Same word, same Bible. The difference was this. Now I felt my need. That's it. The reason why the word of God is preached every single Sabbath in our churches. And for many of us, it makes no lasting change. Is you just don't feel your need. You sit satisfied and content with where you are. You know, okay, you may know you're not perfect. We all know that. You may know you do certain wrong things. But am I at the place that I need salvation? I'm lost, blind, poor, miserable, weak. That is who God wants to come to him. Not self-sufficient people. Not people who think they've just got to make minor improvements. Brothers and sisters, I'm making it clear today. It's not about minor improvements. God likens you, you're dead, now I give you life. Brothers and sisters, try to grasp what God is saying. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Look at the analogy he's tr- he, he, he likens to your spiritual condition. He likens it as if he's seen a dead corpse on the floor. You are dead in sins and trespasses. Wow. Man, no wonder I don't feel motivated to come church sometimes. No wonder when I pick up my Bible, the thing is boring. No wonder when I'm faced with temptation, I'm falling all the time. Yeah, because you need life. 
There's only one thing that gives life and that's the spirit of God. Yeah. It's not about praying more and, and, and praying and studying more. Young people always make this mistake because they're not listening. Mike, I want, I, want, I want to improve my Christian walk. I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that desire. Let me show you how easy it is. It's simple. Do you believe? Right now, do you believe? That you are lost and God will save you right now. Do you believe you are a sinner and God will give you righteousness right now? Without you having to prove yourself to him. There's nothing wrong, brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong. Let me make this very clear. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm going to start studying my Bible. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to start praying more. The issue is, what are you thinking while you're praying? You're thinking this, if I show God I'm praying, he will hear me. I'm saying it as a fact because a young person just, this has been said to me so many times. I was sitting in the car of a young man and he was talking to me about his struggles in life. He's only what, 14 years old? And he said to me, Michael, I got baptized a year ago. I don't think I was ready. And that always makes me feel sad because I know what's following. I know why he thinks he wasn't ready. I said, well, tell me why you think you weren't ready? He said, because I made many wrong decisions. And he said, when I got baptized, and I listened very carefully, he said, I was praying, I was more spiritual, I was studying my Bible every day. And I said to him, so you think because you were doing those things that made you ready? You can do those things and still not have faith that God is love. There's a difference, brothers and sisters. Look in Luke 18, brothers and sisters. We know the parable. You have a Pharisee and you have a publican. Both are turning up to the synagogue to do the right thing, outwardly speaking. Both are turning up to do what, brothers and sisters and visiting friends? To pray. Is there anything wrong with prayer? But one left condemned and one left justified. But both were praying. So of course you can be studying your Bible and reading for years and be just like the Pharisee. Of course. And we accentuate these things more than faith in God's righteousness. We accentuate works more than simple surrender and faith in Jesus' righteousness will be given to me as a gift. We accentuate it more. Many of us are still working our way towards God. And that's why there's no victory in that kind of walk. There's no happiness. There's no real freedom in that kind of walk. It's just a burden. Always feeling, I've got to reach a little bit more uh, high. I've got to do a little bit more. I've got to be a little bit more on point before I feel God really, really accepts me. Brothers and sisters, God will accept you. That's when the change really takes place. When you believe God accepts you, the changes take place. Because now you're not trying to change. You have changed. Your heart has changed. He's given you the Holy Ghost. And now, even when a mistake is made, you confidently turn back to God because you know God is love. How many times you stay not praying to God because you don't think God's going to forgive you? What? I'm not saying that because I ain't done it. I'm not saying this because, man, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've never doubted God. I'm saying it like this because I'm preaching to myself first. Because I know how it feels to not want to hold on. I've been there. I'm going to tell you a story. 
Can I tell you a story? It's a true story. It's a real story. You sure? You sure I can be transparent? It depends what you're going to say, Mike. That would be the wisest answer. I'm only playing brothers and sisters. But I'm going to give you a true story anyhow. Myself and my brother, we were asked by two friends of ours to preach. They were on a, what you would call a youth team. And at this time, this, this was seven, seven years ago, seven to eight years ago. I was like, are you sure? And they wanted us to preach at a big youth event that was happening in London at the Emmanuel Centre. I was like, there's no way me, I'm, they're asking, nah, there's no way. So I said to these young people, make sure you ask those who are above you whether you have the permission and then get back to me. They got back to me and said, yeah, we, we asked a certain minister and they said, it's cool. I was like, nah, this, nah, this, this, nah, this, I don't believe this. I said, ask again. They said, Mike, we had a meeting, we've asked and they said, it's right. I said, did you give my name and my surname? Yeah, yeah, we did. They said, you want to see your manuscript? So we put together our manuscript, myself and my brother. We sent it off. I said, it's still cool? They said, yes, it's still cool. I was like, wow, I'm going to preach at the Emmanuel Center. For those of you who don't know, the Emmanuel Center can seat roughly, I think, three to 4,000 people. And when they have Days of Fellowship down in London, which they have it, I think, every year, they have it there and other places. But that's one of the main places. So I was like, Wow. Man, I'm going to preach that. Man, you said, me and my brother was getting excited. We were praying, Lord. Yeah, man. Wow, we were just so excited. Couldn't even pray properly. We were just praying like, yeah, Lord. Man, wow, God, man, God. Ah, oh, amen. The day comes. We drive down there. We was, I was living in Birmingham at the time. My brother was still in Leicester. We drive down there, excited. Marcus Williams. You don't know Marcus Williams. So he came with us. And then we stayed for the um, sermon we were supposed to preach in the afternoon. So we're ready. And then the divine service ends, morning program goes well, it ends. We get called into a little back room. And we're told we can't preach. After I covered every single base known to man that could have been covered to make sure that this was above board in every area. Reasons that were given to us didn't make any sense. It was all political speech if you can read in between the lines. But my point of the story of telling you this, brothers and sisters, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that day I made a decision to not come back to church ever again. And then put this in context. That wasn't the first time. It was the first time you'd be like, man, what's wrong with you, man? No, no, no. This had been going on for years. Rumors upon rumors upon rumors upon rumors upon rumors upon rumors. And some of you who were aware of what we're doing in Preacher Place know what I'm talking about. The arrows were firing for years. Pew, pew, pew. And for years, I was holding up the shield of faith. Man, just be faithful to God, man. Just be faithful. That day, I had enough. Liars, deceivers, hypocrites. There wasn't people there. I was feeling so angry. I was ready to thump the man in his face. The reason why I'm saying it like this, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, especially young people, I want you to get the picture. When I read this text and it says, hold on to that which you have. Let no man take thy crown. I know what it feels like to say, I don't give a boop. I walked out of there. 
It's me and my brother. And we were on the same thinking. Jonathan was silent, but I was more animated. And I saw he may have been in agreement or not because he were not really saying anything. I said, John, I've had enough. I said to Marcus, don't, Marcus trying his best to encourage Mike, Mike, let's just pray. I was like, pray? I mean, what on earth is prayer going to do? Didn't you hear what they said? Didn't you hear what they just did? For what? I've joined this church through Christ and all I have a passion to preach the love of God and they're telling me nonsense and they can't tell me to my face. Man, I forget this stupid church. Forget it. I'm gone. Because it wasn't the first or the second or the third or the fourth. Abdeen times. I allowed that day for these rumors to get to the point where I lost sight. My mind was overcharged. Are we hearing? Weighed down. It was weighed down with worry and anxiousness and anxiety. In fact, I'm going to call it what it was. Hate. Couldn't care. Somehow or another, thank God for my brother. He was just standing there listening to me vent my anger. And brother says, I meant it. I was gone. I meant it. I'm not coming back to this stupid place again. I meant it. With every fiber of my being. My brother said these famous words. He said, Mike, let's pray. The reason why it took my brother to say that, because we had a relationship, and our relationship is very special. Out of respect for him, I said, okay, let's pray. I really didn't believe. I was just doing it for his sake. Okay, let's pray. God is funny, you know. I don't know if this is going to relate to anybody. I hope it does. I don't know if you've been in this situation where you're going to do something with no faith whatsoever, out of respect for somebody else, but somehow God gets through to you. <laughs> in the situation. So my brother said, my, let's pray. I was like, jeez. I said, you pray first. So we was in some corner somewhere in the Westminster building. He bowed on his heads. He bowed on his head, sorry. Marcus was there. And I heard him start to weep. Because he felt the same way. When he finished praying... I tried to open my mouth to pray. And then I felt a sense of shame. I felt a sense of shame. But brothers and sisters, I valued that experience like nothing. Because I thought I was ready to preach. I thought I was ready. And God says, really? I'm going to give you a test today that you're not going to like. But you're going to need it to carry on. You're going to need it to carry on. I'm going to give you an experience so hard. It's going to reveal in you my things you didn't even know were there. And the sense of shame just came over my mind. I'm standing there and I started to cry. I just started to cry. Because I said to myself, there's me. With a sincere heart to want to preach God's word. And as soon as somebody... I thought was getting in my way. They were getting in nobody's way. Everything's in God's plan anyway. Yes. It was my short-sighted faith that couldn't see what God's plan is. Yes. God's in control, Mr. Danzi. Have you forgotten that? Yes, I did, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm in control. 
I set up kings and I put them down. Daniel says, that's why Daniel could be taken as a slave, possibly castrated, we're told from history, possibly, taken as a slave by the Babylon, like brothers and sisters, slavery. No, 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 brothers and sisters, no. Slavery. The book of Daniel is in the context where Daniel is a slave. A man still has faith in God. And respects Nebuchadnezzar. Don't want to punch him in his teeth. I saw what you did, how you drag up my grandma. What? What? Yeah, man. And pretend to be like, yeah, you know, I've passed the degree, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, I'm going to use this. And when I get a few meals from him, but off, hold that. No, Daniel didn't do that. Because Daniel knew, I'm going to trust God. It's all in God's plan. I'm going to trust him. Though the fire's coming towards me, the Bible says the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that what? Then perish of. God actually told you, I'm going to put you in fire. Now let me break this down. I'm going to wrap up. Let me break this down. I'm going to wrap up what it means to hold on. How you can hold on, brothers and sisters and visiting friends. The trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried in what? Fire. Might be found unto praise and honor. The analogy God's given us is that when they purify gold, the purification process of gold in biblical times, when gold is mined, it has other things connected to other materials that's not as precious as gold. Maybe some zinc, maybe some copper. Now, every material burns at a certain temperature. Are you following? Brothers and sisters, please don't miss this. This is powerful. God gives us spiritual things to understand by giving us object lessons. He says the trial of your faith is likened or compared to gold being put in the fire. So as God is put in the fire, they turn up the heat. Listen now, they turn up the heat. Now, does the person turn up the heat trying to destroy the gold? Brothers and sisters, if you've been following, what is gold compared to in that text? Faith. The fire is compared to the test and trial. As they put the gold in the fire, they turn up the heat. What are they trying to burn away? Everything, listen carefully, everything that is not gold. So God doesn't expect you to fail. Faith, Galatians 5, 6. Faith worketh by love. That's why he doesn't expect you to fail. That's why he would put, he put me through that humiliating. I thought it was humiliating experience. But he says, if this brother has faith in me, if he remembers my love for him, he will get through. And as I bowed my heads down, not believing anything, just doing out of respect for my brother, somehow, I don't know how this works, but it does. Somehow, the spirit, bang, linked me upside my head. And I got convicted. Got convicted. And I let it, I let it do its thing. I let it do its thing, brothers and sisters, young people. Don't resist the spirit. You man them think you're tough? Yeah, if you think you're, you want to go against God? No, no, don't go against him. Let him convict you. If a tear wants to come to you, let it come. You need to feel bad for what you've done before you can get power. You need to feel weak before you are for strength. Mm. I need to feel rubbish before I realize, man, I need to know God more in my life. Amen. And I say that. And the Bible says, hold on to that which you have that no man take thy crown. Hold on. 
where every ounce of your being, faith in the love of God that called you, faith in the love of God that baptized you, faith in the love of God that convicted you, and faith in the love of God that transformed you, that is what will keep you. And it will keep you to the end. Your bills are coming, yes. Don't let them wear you down. Cast it onto the Lord. There's situations in your life that's weighing you down. Cast it on Jesus because he cares for you. Amen. You've got problems with your, with your children, with your marriage. I don't know what it is. And he's stressing you out. You're going to pull your hair out. I'm trying to get my, my, my children interested in God. I'm trying to get my husband interested in God. I, I'm trying to get whatever it may be, brothers and sisters. God just wants to hear you speak to him. That's a simple message. And that's what's going to keep you prepared. For the second coming? That's what I need to be prepared. Is, is that simple? No, no, no. We have to search the internet. I know for the signs. Man, there's loads of us who know the signs. We ain't changed one little bit. Because your mind is not on the most important sign. And that's the cross. And that's the cross. Never forget that sign. Because without that, there would be no second coming. Without that, you and I wouldn't be here. Without that, God would have left this world to Satan's hands. The cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus dying for you when you and I weren't interested is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Who wants to make a commitment today to not be weighed down? Who wants to make a commitment today to say, Lord, yeah, there are things that's been weighing me down. And I've taken too long to give them to you. Way too long. Whatever that may be, who wants to make that commitment to say, Lord, I don't want to carry it no more. I don't want to carry it no more. I don't want to carry it no more. I don't love myself. I don't think I'm even worth living. I don't want to carry it no more. I've heard the word of God. I've heard it speak to my heart. I want to take this opportunity because it might be my last. Not because you might die, but you might not be interested tomorrow. The Bible says, while you hear his voice, harden not your heart. There's a more serious warning than, than you might die. You just might not be interested in the love of God. I've been weighed down. I've been worried. I've been anxious. I've been more anxious about myself. I don't even believe I can be saved. I don't even believe I can be forgiven. I don't even believe I can have a relationship with God. Which one of these applies to you? And you say, today, no more. I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to give it to him. I don't want my mind to be weighed down no more. Because the Bible says, cast your care upon him. I'm not holding on. I'm drowning. I'm sinking. While you hear his voice harden not your heart while you hear his voice harden not your heart imagine that day I left and I didn't come back none of you would have known any different none of you would have come to know me I would have started bible studies I wouldn't have preached but somehow God always calls me back. Amen. Amen. Somehow, 
when we're in that decision, that quandary, shall I go left? Shall I go right? God is standing there. God is standing right there saying, but what have I done to you though? What did I do to you though? What did I do to you though? People don't like you. Maybe your parents not giving you enough love. Maybe whatever. But what have I done to you? Young people, your parents wasn't promised to you to be perfect. My parents were divorced. You've heard that testimony so many times how much, how that affected me. But God in heaven knew that I'll be by these boys' sides. So why keep focusing on the negative when there's much more over here to keep me through that bad situation? And more so than that, brothers and sisters, he wants to use you. He wants to use you. Your story, your scars, your testimony. Your life, not mine. Okay, you can't preach like me. So what? I'm not that great anyway. But your story, your scars, what you went through, God wants to use as evidence that I can save. So why are you sitting down? Why? When you have a story, as small as it may be, you don't have to join a gang. You don't have to judge bullets. I ain't done on that stupidness. But your story will reach someone. Your story will reach someone. Your story will reach someone. Your story. When you tell someone, I know what it means to let go, but I'm here. Hold on. Hold on to that which you have. Let no man, let no situation take your crown for it's reserved in heaven for you. And the cost of that crown, oh my days. The cost of that crown, what does the Bible says? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. For ye are bought with a price. Amen, hallelujah. You are bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Glorify God. And in your body and your spirit which belong to God. That's what we need to preach. The love of Christ. Like the shepherd who went looking for that sheep. When the shepherd found that sheep, did he say, stupid sheep? Do you know how much you've cost me? I've had to leave 99 of my sheep at home. It's cost my business because of you. What? Is that what we read? Is that what we read, brothers and sisters? How we know that, because when the shepherd gets back home, he says he returns home. How? With joy. Oh, my days. The shepherd waste the she- the sheep waste the shepherd's time, costing money and resources. The shepherd might have broke his leg. I'm talking real slang today, you know. I'm, I'm being my son. I'm sorry. Translate it. The shepherd might have broken his leg in the process. It's cost him something, right, brothers and sisters? And though it's cost him so much. He values the fighting of the sheep more than what it's cost him. And Jesus gave that parable to the Pharisees. To win even the Pharisees. To win even the self-righteous, bigoted, religious people of his day, of his church. This is what's going to attract people into these pews. This is what's going to attract people outside. Because we were once out there. I don't even know what that even means. But you get what I'm saying? Hold on. 
apologize for being late. But it was one of those mornings. When I say to you, Lord, when you hear I'm going to preach, please don't take it for granted. You need to pray for me. Because when I come here in this pulpit, I didn't come in my own strength. I could be easy stayed at home. You don't know what goes on in my life, and I'm not going to tell you. So when you see me, I'm please, I'm begging you. Because we're all on, in the same classroom trying to graduate. Just because I preach today, I'm no more special than anyone. I go through my stuff. But the reason why I want to preach is because Jesus knows what it means to save and encourage us. Amen. Man, i got too much to say. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven. Man. <laughs> I really didn't want to cry. I hate it every single time. But I can't resist your spirits pleading with me. Because I know it's hard. And I know the things that I go through is very hard. But at each time this comes to my mind, Michael, I've got you. There's people counting on the word I've given you. And that motivates me every single time. Your people. Friends I don't know of. Strangers I may never meet again. Because we have no idea what our influence may be through Jesus. Until that sea of glass, we may have no idea that kind word. We may not have no idea that phone call. We may have no idea what our presence meant to others in this movement. So Father in heaven, you've seen those who stood. Empower them right now with the understanding that they can have the spirit. As we said in the children's story, that superpower. We can have the Holy Ghost right now. Father, whatever burden is on our minds, I pray under the sound of my voice, we would cast it right now. We are speaking to you in our hearts right now. We are calling on you. I'm going to pause for just a few moments to give you that opportunity, brothers and sisters, congregation, to give the opportunity to speak to God in your hearts. Lay on the table. Be real with him as a friend to a friend. I encourage you to do that right now as we pause for a couple of moments and as the piano continues to play. Open your heart to the Lord and cast that care upon him. Don't be afraid. Because God has promised you he's hearing you. And he will supply you with the strength you need to carry on. He will supply the wisdom you need. Whatever it is according to his will, he will supply. He will remove that burden off your heart. Because Jesus died for that burden to come off your heart. Jesus died for us to be free. Jesus died for us to receive his righteousness, his perfection, his glory and his wisdom. Allow the spirit to speak to you and encourage you. Allow him to remind you 
of the precious chapters in your experience. Too many times we are reminded of our failures. Too many times we're reminded of the wrongs we've done. But be reminded of the precious chapters in your walk. Gather them in your mind right now to give you courage to hold on. For it hasn't all been bad because you're here alive today. Cast your burden upon him right now. Your worries and leave it in the hands of God by faith. You may need to do that every day because it might be one of those situations that's an ongoing situation. So commit that when this comes back to your mind, just ask Jesus for the strength. As I close in prayer, I thank you for hearing, Father, that those who have spoken to you, I thank you for hearing their prayers. I thank you for hearing my prayer. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for speaking through me. Father in heaven, help us to keep our faith on your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you can remain or if you can stand for us, everybody, for just a moment. Jesus.